At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome to Hurt Tell. Thank you so much for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time. So we try to do what we always do. We're going to turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to some information that we actually need to know about so that we can better discern the times we live in. No caterwauling, just get to the stuff we need to know without all the yelling and the fussing and the hollering. Let's start with the GOP primary because there's a whole lot of fussing and hollering going on with this thing. Um... You ever watch a race, like an auto race, like NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, whatever, ARCA. Is ARCA even a thing? I don't remember. Midget car racing. They used to do that on Thursday nights on ESPN. Remember the midget cars and the sprint cars had the big fins on top on dirt tracks? Those were fun. There's something when you're watching an auto race on TV that happens. The announcers will go, because the track's too big, especially something like a NASCAR race where Daytona you know, two and a half mile track or F1 where there's 10 turns to it. They can only show you small segments of what's happening because it's happening so fast. And what will happen is they'll go, there's a battle for second and third. And the second place car and the third place car will just be beating the tar at each other for a couple of laps as they jockey for position. The reason they do that, of course, is because it's a TV show. It's a sport. It's exciting when there's two cars side by side battling it out, fighting, fighting, fighting. You know what's boring? The reason they're showing the second place and third place car battling or the battle for fifth and sixth or whatever the case may be is because the car that's leading and lapping the field and so far ahead that there's no challenge to it makes for boring TV. So they switch to the second and third place battle or the battle for fourth and fifth or the car that wipes out in 13th place, or whatever the case may be. They go where the action is. That's the stage of the GOP primary we're at. I'm going to pick on Politico here, but it's not just them. A bunch of people ran it. This is the piece that got a lot of play over the last day or two. Headline, Haley ties DeSantis for second, of course, meaning former governor, former U.N. ambassador for the Trump administration, Nikki Haley of South Carolina, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Oh, they're tied for second. Action, drama, DeSantis is losing voters, Haley is surging, you see headlines and things, Haley is surging. No, not really. Uh, Trump has a 27-point lead in Iowa. He has more than a 20-point lead and sometimes a 30-point lead in all four of the early states, Iowa, Nevada, South Carolina, and New Hampshire. Trump is so far ahead of everybody else. By the way, those are the primaries. Nationally, he's up 50-plus points in most polls. Trump's so far ahead of everybody else 
that a very bored media that needs something to cover because there must be a horse race. The horse race narrative has got to be somebody against somebody, even if it's not actually happening. You got to present it that way. So the horse race narrative switched to second and third. Here's the problem with this entire narrative. Haley voters and DeSantis voters are a lot of the same pool of voters. They're people that don't want to vote for Donald Trump. There's just not enough of them. And then when they start decamping into the Haley camp or the DeSantis camp or whoever else's camp, all they're doing is picking from the same pool of people that's already too small to beat Donald Trump to start with. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? There's only so many non-Donald Trump votes in a GOP primary, and they're splitting them up. Now, you'll see a lot of pieces like this, and we saw it all over social media last day or two. It's like, Haley is surging, so everybody should drop out and rally around Haley. By the way, these are cut-and-paste articles. We saw the same thing about DeSantis all summer long. DeSantis is the clear alternative. Everybody should drop out and rally around DeSantis. Here's your problem. Just look at the math. Even if they did that, they still don't have enough votes to catch up to Trump. We had John Deeth on this program. Here's the problem. Everybody becomes an Iowa expert every four years, right? So we bring John Deeth on, who is an Iowa election expert. And I just straight asked him because all these, you know, the DeSantis campaign, the Haley campaign, our ground game in Iowa is going to, DeSantis has spent a god sum of money on Iowa, betting the farm on Iowa, no pun intended. So we bring John Deeth on, and I just ask him the question, does the ground game in Iowa still matter? Go back and listen to it. We link to it, and I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, as elections get more and more nationalized, the ground game in Iowa means less and less. Here's the entire thing you need to know about the GOP primaries. We go through the first early primary states as we do another debate that Trump's not going to participate in and won't really matter a hill of beans except for who's going to be in second, third, and fourth which means you don't matter. It means as we go into the turn of the year and get ready for Iowa. Here's the only question that matters in this GOP primary. Because Donald Trump's been, he's got four different sets of indictments. Everybody that's left him is going to leave him already. He's already done all the crazy stuff. He says insane stuff. He says the stuff about Israel. He has lost all the support he is going to lose. He's not going to lose anymore. The only question in this GOP primary, whenever you see a headline, is this question here. Does less than 30% of the GOP primary electorate ready to move off Donald Trump? The last two Republican winners of Iowa won with 26 and 27%, respectively. Let me say that one more time so you hear me. In a multiple-person field in the Iowa caucuses, the last two winners got 26 and 27%, rounding them off a little bit. So let's just pick a number here, 28%. Make it nice and round because I can't do math. Let's just say 30%. Let's really give them the benefit of the doubt. All Donald Trump needs is 30% of the electorate to say, yes, we want Donald Trump again. And he's going to win these primaries. Some of these primaries, he may be able to win them with 25%. Some of them may be 32%. But let's just pick that number. So anytime you see a headline about somebody else, Anytime you see somebody surging, and we'll probably, we probably got one more surging cycle of news in here because there must be a horse race. This is how the media works. Ask yourself a very simple question and look at the numbers and see if you can find it. Does Donald Trump have less than 30% support in the people that are going to go vote in the Iowa caucuses in these early primary states? Right now, he has a whole lot more than 30%. In fact, national polling, if you take that, considering that he could win a New Hampshire or South Carolina with 25%, because remember, South Carolina, you got Tim Scott and Nikki Haley down there. He might win that with 25% and could still pull it off. That means right now, nationally, where he's polling over 50%, he could lose half the support he has right now and still win this primary. Like that NASCAR race, like the F1 race, when the leader's lapping the field, they're going to focus on the fight for second and third because the leader running away and hiding with it makes for boring television and news media is a television program. Watch your coverage and watch what you get sucked into. Nikki Haley is surging. Yes. She's sitting around 15, 16% depending on which poll you want to use. Ron DeSantis is falling. Now he's right about that same number, 15, 16% depending on which poll you want to use because they're pulling from the same pool of voters. The people that don't want to vote for Trump. And now, 
DeSantis is going to have to spend a lot of money and resources attacking Nikki Haley. And every minute he does that, he's not doing anything to dent Donald Trump because attacking Donald Trump doesn't hurt Donald Trump. Saying mean things about Donald Trump doesn't hurt Donald Trump. Pointing out his policy failures and his wackadoo positions and the crazy things he said, that doesn't it. You can't just attack Donald Trump. Is there anything a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley is going to do to pull the voters from Donald Trump that are already predisposed to vote for Donald Trump and get him below that 30% level in Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada and South Carolina? Because if he wins four of those, if he wins three of those, this thing is over by March, if not before. It's just that simple. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have a lot of supporters. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of a backing. What they got right now, though, is a math problem that they don't seem to be able to solve. We've got a lot of Ron DeSantis campaigning and a lot of Nikki Haley campaigning. We know what they are and they aren't. And you need to parse out these headlines to not what you want to have happen, not what you think might happen, not what you wish might happen. Look at the data, discern the information we have, and understand what is really happening. As long as 30% of the GOP primary electorate wants Donald Trump, Donald Trump's going to win. And that's all there is to it. More Hurtel right after this. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Oh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Matthew Perry died. He was a uh, very good actor. Most people knew him from Friends. Um, my kids and family really loved the movie he did with Zac Efron, where he went back to high school. He was excellent in that. He was in other movies as well. Don't pigeonhole him just to Friends. Died very, very young. We don't have a cause of death yet, so I don't want to get into all that. Matthew Perry, if you look into his life, He's somebody that struggled with things like addiction and mental health and things like this and was very open about it, wrote a whole memoir about it, was open about it, talked to people about it. But there's a part of this death that I want to focus on that didn't get covered too much, although you saw a little bit of it on social media, that goes to how our news media and how our social media and how us, the consumers of both, feed something that is not good in our society. Matthew Perry died, and there's reports um, if you're not familiar with TMZ, and full disclosure, I have appeared on TMZ as a talking head a time or two. I don't really like doing those hits, but I've done a few of them. They're, it's not anything against the TMZ folks themselves. I'll talk about the problem I have with the company in just a second. The people are nice enough. It's just the formatting of them. I didn't really enjoy doing them. Here's the thing with the TMZ thing. The reason TMZ gets so much information on celebrities is they pay for it. Most news organizations, mainline news organizations, will not pay for it. The National Enquirer, for years, got information that other people wouldn't get. They broke things like the John Edwards story because they pay for those hits. TMZ basically nationalized that, monetized it, and internetized it. Um, internetized it is not a term, but it's the best way I can explain what happened. TMZ rose with the internet and social media especially, and they figured out, you pay information, you get information before everybody else, and you can get it out faster to a wider audience, and it's made them an absolute empire. To be fair to TMZ, for whatever problems we're going to have with how they do things, and I'm going to get into one of them here in a minute, they're usually right. They usually have correct information, although a lot of it is salacious, a lot of it is not nice. Uh, you could talk about the morality and ethics of it, but they're usually not wrong. They're usually correct. There was reports that the TMZ folks got the information of Matthew Perry's death out so fast because they paid off law enforcement. We'll leave it at law enforcement. I don't know if it was a uniform law enforcement. I don't know if it was somebody with a badge. I don't know if it was an investigator. I don't know if it was a coroner or whatever. They paid somebody in law enforcement for this information. 
And if you watch social media, a couple interesting things happen. Some other celebrities, um, Wolfgang Van Halen. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wolfie's. I love his music. He talked about how he was in the hospital with his dad. This is on social media. He said, you know, when my dad died, they had it out before we'd even left the hospital. We didn't have 20 minutes to grieve because they paid off people at the hospital for the information that he died. We've seen this before with other celebrity deaths. We've seen it with celebrity arrests. We've seen it with other things. People go, well, they're celebrities. They deserve it. There's some of that. Here's the thing, and I tweeted about this. I expect this from TMZ. We cannot control TMZ. We have freedom of the press. If they want to pay for information and run it, they're allowed to within the confines of the law that gets into some very specific things like libel and other things. People that think they have been libeled or smeared or things like that, they have legal recourse to take them to court if they want to. But we have very strong uh, First Amendment protections of the press. And yes, the TMZ is the press, even though they're, you know, the paparazzi, you know, (laughs) hide in the gutter and jump from the bushes type of press. That's still press. That's still protected free speech. Here's where I want to go with this, though, and why I'm bringing it up. We have an accountability problem here that we can control. You can't control TMZ. We better control police and law enforcement that take money from an organization to give out personal information. We better, in the Wolfie, uh, you know, the Eddie Van Halen case, medical providers that are taking money to give out personal information. This is something we can do something about. And if they do it to celebrities, eventually they're going to start doing it to other people. They're going to start. They already do it. They, you know, sell personal information. There's a whole market for this sort of thing. This is something we should talk about on our social media and with our elected officials and with people of with whom we have influence. If you are in law enforcement and you take money for information from anybody, you immediately lose your badge and should not be in law enforcement, period, in the discussion. Because if you take money for that, you may take money for something much more important and sinister. You don't have the integrity to be on the job in law enforcement. You're fired. Goodbye right now. Same with healthcare. The healthcare records and information of people must be kept private, their personal information, all that. If you are a healthcare worker, from a doctor to the person, the janitor that scrubs the floor, if you give out that information, you should be fired immediately and never hired again. Period. Now, writing, that's easy for me to say writing regulation and laws that do that and cover that are much more hard. But when you look at a story about celebrities, get below the salacious headline and think about it for a second. It's like, well, wait a minute. Is this a healthy thing? And again, TMZ can do this. We have a free press, even a press that pays for information. But if they're paying law enforcement, they're paying healthcare providers for this information. We can do something about that. And we should. Privacy and data I know people say we don't have any anymore. That's true. But the people we trust, like our law enforcement and our healthcare providers, who take care of us in the moments of our greatest crisis, they should be held to a higher standard. And that's something we should be talking about a lot more than the salacious details of Matthew Perry's death. We hope he rests in peace. We pray for his family. And let's do something about these people that are just taking money. This is not a new problem. It's been a problem for all of human history. We ought to do more about it. More hotel right after this. to her tell okay here's what we're going to do with this one is we do headlines and try to figure things out but the way this one thing's covered is absolutely driving me bonkers it annoys me i think we're doing a great disservice to a great many people and i tagged in my friend john mccumber who used to have a whole bunch of interesting titles but now he's just retired so i don't have to use any of them john how are you my friend good to talk to you again andrew i couldn't be better and it's great to talk to you again it's been too long For those of you on the YouTube channel, you will get to see his wonderful Florida man retiree motif he is rocking today. Got him out of the hooker hat, at least, so a little bit of a change of pace. I knew my fine tigers hat on. But I have to talk real carefully right now because my uh, DOG saw me put on this HAT, and he thinks (laughs) it's time for his WALK. So uh, (laughs) I have to talk like it's a toddler. Uh, 
That would be Brody the Wonder Dog that you picked up here. Brody the Wonder Dog, yeah. Um, we're going to try to get this done before any of my dogs realize I'm recording or the cat shows up and photo bombs me. I, you're exactly who I want to talk. I want to talk about the way the media right. covers things like financial planning right. and not just the economy because the economy is in the news. When we talk about things like buying a house, we talk about things like retirement planning. You're on one end of it. You've already had two or three successful careers. Your wife still works a little bit, but also had a successful career. You're in that retirement where you moved to Florida and did all that. I'm in the middle of it. We both have adult children who we're trying yeah. to navigate when they want to talk to us. We'll give them advice on how they're navigating their 20s and 30s. So this is how I want to address this, though, because I think the media coverage, especially the influencer culture media, which is bleeding into news media, I think the way we talk about retirement, financial planning, home buying, the really big, important stuff, right? right. Car buying, we can lump that in there now, too, because it's getting yep. expensive again. Anything with an interest rate, I don't think we talk about this in a healthy way. I don't think we talk about it in a productive way. And frankly, I don't think we talk about it in a truthful way. I, I would absolutely agree with that. That's a great assessment. What Now that you've done the retirement thing, though, yeah. this isn't complicated stuff, really. It's really anybody that's actually done investing. I'm not talking about Bitcoin or the hot stuff right. or things you're doing. People that know how to do financing, it's just consistency yes. over time and yep. having a plan and sticking to it. Yep. That's not how we talk to young people about it. That's not how the media talks about it. What is it from your end of it looking back on it now? Because you did it successfully and you're you know doing okay and not missing any meals because you're a member of our Twitter Supper Club. What do you tell somebody that's just seen the influencer culture of how to kind of turn down the noise on this? Well, I think one of the, the important things to, to preface any discussion about retirement and financial planning in that area is to talk about the fact that retirement is something that hasn't even been uh, considered uh, or, or even talked about. It's something that just kind of popped up in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, up till then, you hoped that the kids would, uh, you know, if you had a family, they'd take you in and, and let you die peacefully at home. Uh, or you hoped you slumped over, you know, digging your ditch or planting your corn and, uh, and, and, and just fell over dead because it, 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 retirement just didn't exist. There wasn't this uh, plan of a, for financial stability, uh, the plan for the ability to have income or anything after a certain age. And people just wore out, men's, men and women, wore out from their work and their labors after uh, a number of years. And so now as the... Uh, uh, as medical advancements and others allow us to live longer and we start anticipating retirement. You know, like I say, they, they started with this great idea back in the middle of the 20th century where they'd have these defined benefit plans and you would be able to work for you know, a large corporation for X number of years and, and then take a retirement. My dad did that. He got out of, uh, after fighting World War II, uh, he came home and he, you know, instead of repairing aircraft on carriers, he was busy building uh, planters and tractors for John Deere. Spent 30 years working there and then uh, and then unfortunately died the month he, he put in 30 years because he was worn out uh, from war and cigarettes and, and alcohol. And he just he just died at 59 years of age. And they kept care. Uh, you know, provided basic care for my mother until she passed. Uh, I didn't have that process going for me with that retirement. I didn't have a defined retirement plan, except if you consider the military. Uh, and 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 but I I left the military early. I didn't get a big retirement payout. Uh, I, I call it car payment money, and not live by the beach in this uh, trailer money. So. How we talk about uh, retirement is important to understand that it's a relatively recent phenomenon. And so you're talking about we've only been, what, two, maybe three generations that have even had the opportunity to consider it. So how do we talk to young people about it? How do we talk to others that are looking at how to get there? Uh, I think it's important to understand the dynamism within this uh, this uh, financial systems and, and where we are right now. We went from defined benefit plans early on in the retirement area. Uh, it, it, in the mid 20th century, we um, rolled out social security. I, I think I read somewhere and I, I should have 
had this prepared so I could uh, cite it exactly. I think the first person that collected Social Security was a woman who had in uh, put in thirteen dollars and twelve cents. You know, she because the the way it timed out, the law passed, and when she retired, she had put in thirteen dollars and twelve cents and took out twenty thousand uh, or twenty six thousand over the the remaining years. So it showed you right off the right out of the gate how this system was uh, flawed. So we have this system still in place, this flawed system called Social Security. Uh, we have um, uh, now, let's say, 401k. I was a 401k era person. So after I left the military, and again, I was way, you know, I left the military long before I was eligible to really retire. I had to go back, work in industry, and then uh, do the savings part of things on my own and be able to contribute to that environment. So that that put that in that situation. So what I tell and, and what I would advise young people now, it's it's it 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 it's not so much the, the mechanics of it, but exactly as you said, it's about consistency, uh having a basic plan that you have to be able to adapt though as 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 changing times. Housing market, look what's happened to the housing market, look what's happened to uh, a, a variety of um elements of our financial system, car prices, used cars. You know, the average car in the United States today is 11 years old. The average car on the road is 11 years old. That's never been the case. You know, my father's era, they, you know, they'd look at buying a car every couple of years, usually because the cars wore out pretty quickly. They'd look at having one every couple of years. My father-in-law was still of that generation, and he always wanted a new truck every other year, even though he put very limited miles on it. So that was just that that whole thing has changed now in 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 us. And because that, aside from housing, that's oftentimes people's second most uh, second largest investment is a vehicle. And so you've got so many of these competing priorities. The key to all of this, though, is, is, is what I found. I was so fortunate in, in what I did and how I was doing it. And I can't say I'm some kind of a genius at it. But by God, the point was to get to where retirement happens to be out of debt. And that 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 truly is. I mean, you know, you can say what you want about Dave Ramsey, but his overall message is 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 solid. And, and that. To me, is is a place to start to have this discussion. But if you don't hustle in your twenties and thirties, you're not going to enjoy. You're going to struggle in your fifties and sixties. Uh, here's the nomenclature needs to change, though, because we talk about retirement or investing or yeah. whatever. I think the debt thing is something we hear it in certain aspects, like we hear it with the student debt thing and the college thing. We hear it in that debate. But the problem is we don't make a, I hate to use the word holistic, but debt is a holistic problem to your life if you've got a whole lot of it. Yep. It it just crushes everything. Yep. If you've, you just talked about the World War II generation. I think this is important. I think we're past the point where that worked 30, 40 years for any company, unless it's maybe the federal government, and even that's a little iffy. I think the the years of having careers with one company, that's just gone. I think everybody needs to just have a mindset of, I'm going to have to piecemeal my career, piecemeal yep. my benefits, piecemeal my plan together. But part of that is what you just said is, how do you incur your debt? Incurring debt on a house is not necessarily bad debt because it can be an investment. Right. However, if you just have credit card debt, if you just have student loan debt without any way of really recouping it or you're in your 30s and 40s still paying debt off when you're in your prime earning years that you could be putting it into a house or something that has value. The World War II generation, we just talked about housing a couple of days ago on the program. Housing is a generational wealth multiplier because you can pass that down. It gives you options, things like that. We don't talk about debt in a healthy way because we want to act like all debt is equal. It's not. We want to act like debt is a fungible thing. It's not. And then we don't talk about the benefits of not being in debt. If you can get to retirement out of debt, you're probably ahead of the game. Yeah. Almost nobody gets to do that, though. Right. No, it's it, it, it that. I'm, I guess I'm reminded of those advertisements you see all the time that pop up on your social media, or on Facebook, or wherever you are, that say, if you have half a million dollars, you know, when should you retire? Take this quiz. And of course, the quiz doesn't tell you when you can retire. It simply allows them to assess where you are and then sell you, you know, a variety of products and services around it. Uh, so you never, there's no answer to any of this. And and so uh, I'll, I'll, Retirement planning and debt planning is third grade math. 
That's all you need. There's no high finance answer, you know, that that you need to do or Monte Carlo simulation. You simply have to have a basic understanding of how to do third grade math. The the, the only real challenge is, it is every retirement planning uh, tool that anybody sells you or uh, provides free. There's online tools you can use. Begins with one simple fact that you have to suss out: When are you going to die? If you can answer that question, the math is real simple. Uh, the only challenge becomes the reason it gets complex is because, you know, either we're not willing to live up or look up to those numbers, or we're not sure how to even begin to assess that. Uh, and, and so, you know, again, I guess this comes from uh, a person with uh, bad genetics. Uh, you know, my, my dad died at 59, my uncle at 57, and my sister at age 51. Uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, the fact that I'm still here with you today is, is a miracle, and I treat every day like that because it truly feels that way. Uh, but, you know, when am I going to die? I just watched my in-laws pass in, at 80 years old each. And um, it, it, so you look at the math, and it becomes an interesting, uh, interesting what-if scenario. But that's the story. When are you going to die? Yeah, John McCumber joining us. This this is actually a core problem with Social Security besides the policy part. And we always talk about the policy part. The basic math of Social Security is it was designed for 170 million people that lived into their 60s. Yes. And now we have 330 million people and counting, and it's going to be over 400 million within the next 15 years that are living into their 80s. Yeah. That's the basic core problem of Social Security besides government malfeasance and Congress. And I, we can talk about all that. That's just the core problem with the social safety net is it's designed antiquated. It's not designed for what we're trying to do with it. But that also applies to your personal life. You don't I remember my my parents, you know, public employee pensions. My father was very smart with his money, kept a lot of his money, invested well, things like that. But, you know, they're public employee pensioners. And when my mom got breast cancer, this is the thing when you get older, you have these multipliers of costs. You know, now all of a sudden the chemo is outpatient instead of inpatient. So you're paying for the chemo out of your pocket instead of covering on your plan. Little right. stuff like that, you you just don't realize. End of life care where, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of that. They showed me my hospital bill in 2016 when I was in the hospital. The VA was covering it, but I was in Duke for five months. It was a multi-million dollar bill if I didn't have insurance for five months and everything I went through and all the surgeries. Sure. Folks got to understand it's not just when you die, but those couple of years before you die with most people, you're going to have some ill health, things like that. Those are financial bombs that go off that you're either prepared for or it completely wrecks your life. And we don't put those on the advertisements. No, no, we don't. And that and that's why, you know, managing and uh, having uh, the changes that we've had, uh, dramatic changes to insurance and, and the like. Uh, become uh, real difficult to forecast for retirement. I know that's a challenge I've had. I'm fortunate that I I also have the VA and I'm living a place that, you know, knock on wood here, uh, the VA has been phenomenal uh, in, in my area, believe it or not. And I know there's horror stories everywhere, uh, but I've been getting uh, the care I need that uh, and, and the pre- preventive care I need. And it's been really, really pretty good. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. But again, you know, you, People don't have the tools they need to prepare for this. So the, one of the tools that's po- uh, posited all the time is, uh, why don't government just cover it for you? And uh, <laughs> and so the, it's the whole microcosm of, of that. Why doesn't the government, you know, handle it for you? Becomes another string of issues that that needs to be discussed. Uh, but at the same time, you know, people, you know, I, I, one of my favorite pundits who's unfortunately now passed is PJ O'Rourke. And he once said, if you think healthcare is expensive now, wait until it's free. Uh, so we, we've got a whole other series of challenges that we're going to need to face in that healthcare area. But planning for retirement, you know, 
I, I'd, I'd like to say I was kind of, you know, really smart and did all this stuff. I absolutely didn't. Uh, I didn't plan to retire when I did. Retirement kind of snuck up on me. I've been treated kind of unfairly. I got kind of kicked to the curb, felt really down and, and, and just didn't even think about it until I met with my Schwab guy. And he looked at me and he said, why don't you think about retiring? Look at your you know family history. Look at this. Enjoy a few years off. And, um, by God, that made perfect sense. And and I've been blessed to be in a position to make that decision. And I did, you know, all the dumb stuff like everybody will ridicule me for. And I moved to Florida. I live in a 55 plus community. But, you know, again, until you see it, till you experience it, and that's what it took for me as another person, a mutual of ours. Uh, she and her husband had retired and moved to down here and then uh, said, just come and visit. And I'm literally, like I say, I've been out of work for about a year, had been kicking around and and not really finding what I wanted. We we're down here three days. I bought a house on a handshake. And I said, this is how I want to live. Uh, and people have these odd suspicions. You know, like I say, when we talk about you know, the generational changes, when I thought of 60 people in their 60s, when I, which I'm well into my 60s now, when I thought of people in my, when I was a kid, they were just fat old women, you know, the white hair with an apron, you know, standing at the stove making cinnamon rolls, you know, and a guy with a cane, you know, sitting out in front of the Cracker Barrel or wherever they were sitting on, a, you know, in the town square feeding the pigeons. Um, and then you find out that, uh, you know, that that world, like I say, people live to their 80s. Uh, I have um, men and women that I golf with that are in their 80s. Uh, and, and and I go golfing with them, bike riding, and, and a lot of other hobbies. And it's really surprising to see uh, people don't go to retirement communities to just wait to die. They go there to enjoy the last years, the golden years, as we like to say. And it, 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 so that difference is, is significant. And like I say, gener- World War II generation, uh, you know, all my, you know, my teachers in high school had been at war with my father. Uh, they, you know, the teachers from my high school, the, the business people in town had been, uh, you know, through World War II. Everybody that had really cast uh, that whole generation. And then, like we said, those uh, again, I'm talking I'm babbling on about these different things, but these all have to interconnect. And how people put those together to, to look at these later years of life is what's going to determine how well they live it. But I got nieces and nephews, and I'll tell you something I, I, I just don't see now among my nieces and nephews. Maybe yours are different, but if you don't hustle in your 20s and 30s, you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to struggle in your 50s and 60s. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you.
Yeah, it's funny because John McCumber joining us. Of course, my 20s and 30s, I was in the military. And then, you know, was going to do a second career when I got medical out of the military. Yeah. And then we see how that worked out. So you got to be a little flexible. Here's the thing, though. What you did, though, you're actually a statistic. Did you know this? No. When COVID happened, 4.2 million people dropped out of the workforce. It was one of the big economic things that didn't get talked about. But 2.4 million of them, the big bulk of them was actually retire age people that just said, screw this, I'm going to the house. Either they were worried about their health, they just right. didn't want to fool with the restrictions. A huge cohort of that, you know, 60s, upper 60s, they just said heck with it, went to the house and didn't want to fool with it. Yeah. But now something's been happening over late. About 1.2 million of them, according to the statistics, I'll post these in the links on the hertel.substack.com listing. They're coming back into the workforce, but almost none of them are full time. Mm-hmm. They're part time. They're one of the things that I think is really changing retirement is the same thing that's changing work for people like me. I'm in my 40s, but I do you know work from home and I have my government disability and things like that. But it's also changing what I see the college age cohort doing too. You have multiple side hustle opportunities and you kind of piddled with this. I know your wife works from home some, even though you're quote unquote in your retirement home. Yep. You have options now and we've got all the data in the world. It's not just golfing and the lifestyle and that. That's healthy too. The longer you work, that actually extends your lifespan. So it's actually different than that World War II generation where it was more factory work, things like that. Yeah. There's you technology jobs. Yeah, it's not just beat your body into the ground. You can be a productive member through technology now well into your later years. And people are taking advantage of it, not just for the money stream. They just like feeling productive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, as you know, I have my little LLC here in Florida. And uh, I still do consulting and uh, writing uh, for uh, for an employment and uh, and file taxes and do all those things you do for running a small business. But it's a... Uh, it, it's worthwhile, and it does. It gives me a reason to get up every day and uh, and do something, uh, as well as uh, enjoy the extra time that I now have that I never did. We, uh, you know, that's what I tell my. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at my nieces and nephews, and I'm talking about young men and women in their 20s, early 30s, that post on social media. I see them on Facebook, and they're they're exhausted after a 40-hour week. You know, and they had to punch the clock for 40 hours or go to the job. And and we're not talking people with huge commutes or anything. And they're just a, a small town people. They work hard. They've got a good job, and they're crushed at the at at the end of the day. They have family. I look back, and I don't know how I certainly did it, but you know, I, I one of the stories I like to tell when I was in my late 20s. Uh, I was in the military, as you were, at that time in my life, and um, I decided I needed to go to college. And I wanted to move ahead. I wanted to get a commission. So I started, you know, I made the mistake of, uh, you know, the only reason I got forced into it is I made the mistake of boasting to my wife that I would do that. And then and then say, well, I'm going to get started on it, but you're pregnant now. Well, she was pregnant with our first. And I said, but after you give birth and, and that child's here, then I'll go back to college. And um, I'll never forget it. The day I went to see her, you know, one day, at, at the day after our daughter was born, we were in the hospital sitting together. She looked at me and she goes, time's up. Uh, you said you were going to do this and, 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 and she's here and you're doing it. So that afternoon, uh, the next afternoon, I went down to the base education office, signed up for uh, college programs. And I like to tell my nieces and nephews, I said, let me tell you this. I had this little little baby daughter, brand new. I said, I worked night shift. I was lucky. The military worked around me. I ran a data center at from midnight to 8 a.m. That was my basic duty. And then, of course, additional duties, other things you do in the military all around that. Uh, but I, the basic duty I had was to run a data center on the midnight shift. Uh, and I said, then I went to school. I'd, I'd get off at eight in the morning. Uh, I'd come home and my wife would go to school. And so she went to school. I took care of the baby. And then uh, was during the day, my wife would get home around five, five thirty. I went to school from six to nine o'clock at night. Uh, and then I went to school from six to nine o'clock at night. Then I uh, got dressed, uh, went into my military job at midnight and started the cycle over again. And I asked my daughter, what's missing from that? I remember talking to her about it. She goes, well, you don't talk about sleep. And I said, I didn't. And I said, because what I did is I said, I had two hours to nap, uh, which I did in a chair at night before I started my midnight job. And I napped when you did. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, there were a couple nights I didn't have school. So that was fortunate. But the whole point was, that was my schedule for 
years. Uh, and, and then, uh, like I say, um, then the school thing. So I really feel strongly that those side hustles ended up becoming my career, uh, which was really fun. And it allowed me to do a lot of things. So I, I really I think this important thing to remember is that no matter what the market looks like, no matter what the housing is, is, is that if, if you've got to really move out. John McCumber joining us. I, I remember because my military career, of course, I'd been in about a year when 9-11 happened and the world changed on us. We went from having the cakest, easiest job in the world to things got real in a big hurry. Yep. Um, you know, I look now like those Frankfurt days when we first went into Afghanistan. We're working 18 and sixes and sleeping at the office because you didn't want to waste the 20 minutes going home. You'd rather just sleep on the couch, right? Sure. I, I couldn't do that now, but I could do it then. But it front loaded me on hard work so that, you yeah. know, when you're doing other stuff, it didn't bother you so much. When I talk to the cohort and my, you know, my kids are this age now, they're 25 and 20 and 17 and 16, almost 18. One of them, um, two, one's already out of college. One's in college. Yeah. One has zero interest in college. And the other one wants to do this artsy school thing, whatever. They're all very different. And the one that doesn't want to go to college wants to do trade. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, absolutely, go learn to work on engines, go learn to weld, whatever. It may not be your career, but it'll teach you a skill set. And anytime you learn a skill set, that sets you up for wherever you're going to eventually go. Right. And that's a hard thing to talk to the college cohort. When I work with the Young Voices kids, I tell them all the time, I was like, don't worry about the end goal so much. Build skill sets. Yeah, it's great. Because you don't know where you're going. How would you tell people, because you've had three or four careers now, you've done the yeah. consulting thing. You know, you didn't roll out of bed and wind up doing cybersecurity and becoming a cybersecurity expert. You had about four or five things that lined yeah. up that I made did. you qualified to do that. And you had a depth of knowledge that made you really good at it. Explain yeah. that to the younger cohort of like, don't just worry about the degrees, which are fine things. And don't just worry about the job, which is a fine thing. Are you building skill sets that you can go in an office and go, you can give me this job because I can do X, Y, and Z. That's, that's a whole different thing that's been lost. And I've done, I, when I was in the corporate world, I've interviewed people and I tell people now going into interviews, like, I don't care your accolades. Tell me what you can do. Right. I don't think we train kids to go into an office and go, this is what I can do. Right. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And this is always going to be a, a seller is having those skills. Uh, I had the same counseling. Like I can step back. I didn't, like I say, didn't roll out of bed and fall into this. I was very fortunate in many ways. I'm not here to certainly just sit there and boast and say that I'm some kind of a brilliant person. I'm not. But I did. One thing I did do is keep a mind, eyes always open for opportunities. And when things would come up. So uh, I, I remember I got into teaching uh, and then uh, I got was getting my finishing up my uh, degree and uh, then was working on a master's degree because I had already I was in that mode, you know. I was uh, did that, got my commission, started on my MBA, going to you know again full time MBA, full time job, and uh, what uh, what I was able to do is they said, you know what, we're having trouble filling this uh, position. People uh, teach a database course for our college. Would you be interested in it? And and you know I just said absolutely. Let me try that. I put a course together and taught. That was the very first uh, college course I ever taught. I was working on my MBA. I taught a course on database, and it was you know it would be laughable now to see what I you know would teach about. But it, it was an opportunity for me to learn the teaching profession to get involved. And so as that went on, I always used my teaching to pay for my further education, and that's one of the reasons I was able to get out without debt. Uh, one, of course, the military, that that's a big bonus and then for people. And then uh, being able to use that, even even every dime I paid for a book, uh, a college you, you know, sweatshirt, anything I did related to higher education, I paid for it by teaching. And and I, I got my money back, you know, tenfold over for doing that. And so being able to teach, use that money to pay for further education and do that. And then when I got 
you know, out of uh, that and was uh, started on my PhD at the University of Maryland. Uh, I was uh, teaching graduate school for a couple universities because, again, cybersecurity was new and they were trying to put together programs, schools that you've never heard of. Uh, now, you know, and then that predate Phoenix, University of Phoenix, which, of course, you're hearing less and less of now. But if you go back, you know, Central Michigan University, others had, had decided they wanted to jump on this uh, as a as a opportunity to teach remote courses. So I got involved with that and got paid for doing that. Uh, one of the things I've always focused on in, in that is 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 trying to make sure I was being paid for the extra work I was doing, and that that's that's a tough one. Uh, a lot of people donate their time. I think that's great. I do now. I donate a lot of time right now to, to different uh, different operations and and programs, but um, I also at the time wanted to make sure that that I was be covering. Uh, that. So again, that the extra money allowed me to get the education. I put my wife through school. She and I worked together to do that. We never had college debt. Uh, and she wasn't in the military, but, you know, she worked in work programs and study programs, but it was all skills based. You were right. And that's what was beneficial. Hers is in medicine. So she she worked in clinical oncology and she worked in, in treating cancer. And so all her education, most of her employers would pay for that as, along the way. And then when she did do things like work, got her own, uh, master of fine arts uh, and did that on her own, we were able to do that and cover that with money I made from teaching. And that's those, those kind of processes and always looking for opportunities and sticking your neck out a little bit. That's, that's where the answer is. That's where those extra opportunities come from. And then that's where those, you know, those skills you, you acquire, but you got to be willing to do that. Yeah. John McCumber, this is what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have some grown folk talk about some two guys that have kind of been there and done that on some of this stuff. And we're counseling our own kids on it. And we're hoping I, you know, I do a lot of the mentoring with the young voices. One of the reasons I love working with those guys is, you know, they're, they're, I always get a crack. You got these people going to Georgetown, Harvard, and they're asking me for advice. And I flunked out of community college. Yeah. I went back. I went back. But, yeah. you know, we all did. Hey, I flunked out. Look, I've, I've been open about it. I went to my, I tell every single one of them that want to hear it. Like, look, I went to college. I wasn't prepared. I was a meathead. I was an idiot. I was undisciplined. I wound up living back in mom and dad's basement, was working at Walmart. I never forget it. About two in the morning, saw a bunch of guys coming in, working off their hangover at Walmart. And I'm like, okay, I got to make a move. I got to get out of here. Went, you know, worked my shift, got up that morning, drove over to Beckley to MEPS, signed up. You know, that's how that went. But it was a good thing for me. Sure. I just wanted to do some grown folk talk on this because I think the influencer culture is really missing the boat because it's all about what they can give somebody. And really what this all is, is what can you give yourself and give yourself skill sets. John, let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with you. We haven't had you on for a while. We're going to get you back. We'll get you in your wheelhouse of the security stuff here one of these days. All right. Let folks know how they can follow you until we get you back on the program. Well, like I say, you know, I'm available, uh, you know, like every other bonehead that's got an idiot profile out on LinkedIn, I'm out there. Uh, but, you know, that just gives, that's the official background. I'm also in, in social media. And, and but I, what, what's enjoyable is that I get to say what I want now because I'm not going to be canceled for my job by social media. So my clients always remain uh, secret. You know, I'll never, so I'm out there publicly and I'll say a lot about what I feel and what I think, and you may not agree with me. Uh, and I'm at John McCumber uh, at uh, on X now or Twitter, Twitter, whatever we call that thing. And so, um, and then uh, I'm, I'm available in other zones as well, but I, I go, my name you'll see up there is Johnny Moline, which is a, a take on how, I, where I was born and raised. And, um, but it allows me to uh, say a lot about what I feel and also talk about this life I'm now living. And so I spent a lot of time doing that and uh, sharing those things. And I, I'm trying to share that positive message and, and hopefully uh, create a community of, of people that can uh, enjoy the time that they have on this earth and, and realize that it's very limited and you might as well enjoy it this time because you don't get another. Most importantly, he's a member in good standing as a hashtag Twitter supper club group, although he did put Rev Velvet Corn Dogs. We're going to have to have a board meeting about that in private, but that'll be a closed session meeting while we work that out amongst ourselves. Yeah. Great cook. Looking forward to barbecue. I need to send you an order of barbecue sauce down, too. Oh. Uh, we'll hook you up. John McCumber, love talking to you, my friend. Appreciate the time. It's always my pleasure, my friend. Yes, sir.
Welcome back to Hurt Tell. Let's end on a good note. The horrible events in Lewiston, Maine. We talked about them. The mass murder up there. Um, the people that died. There was good in that because, as usual, communities tend to come together in crisis. Something very interesting happened. One thing you don't think about when you're just watching this news coverage is if you've never been in a situation like this where they had a manhunt and they had a lot of people locked down because of the manhunt. Also, this is hunting season in Maine. They wanted to keep people out of the woods with guns for obvious reasons and a lot of other things. So a lot of people just couldn't go and do the normal things they did. Plus, you had this massive influx of first responders. The feds were there. The FBI comes in. All the news crews come in. And then you got all the looky-loos and the rubberneckers show up as well. Lewiston is not a big town, so you get an influx of a couple thousand people. You're going to notice it in a big hurry, especially in these rural areas. Something really amazing happened. Let's go to WCYY-TV and credit where it's due. I first saw this by Brian Mann's Twitter feed. Um, But uh, WCYY-TV from a couple days ago. While the manhunt was going on, everybody's locked down, everything's shut down, which means how are you going to feed all these people that are in town for the manhunt, for the news coverage, whatever else? Well, while the law enforcement first responders community, I'm reading from WCYY here, Local businesses are doing the same for them. Several restaurants have posted info about free meals for first responders, an incredible gesture to the folks who are trying to keep us safe from the evils of the world, and another example of Mainers helping Mainers. Below is where you find the list to say. Now, the one that got some play was Jeff's Jamaican Cuisine food truck. Uh, Everybody likes Jamaican food. Uh, There's the old joke about we don't have that. Well, they had it. Uh, First responders could pick between... um, mild beef, spicy beef, curry chicken, and a veggie option for free. It's a father-daughter food truck, and they've been dishing out delicious homemade Jamaican food for free for first responders from Thursday all the way through until the manhunt ended. Uh, there's other listings here. There's a couple other. There's the L.A. Taco food truck. Five Guys in Bidford and South Portland was giving out free food. Jimmy's General Store, Burnt Inns Barbecue, great barbecue name by Lisbon's House of Pieces, Sam's Italian, um, you know we like our food, so I want to shout these people out. Millhouse Pub, uh, the Luchador Tacos. Uh, that's a great name. Love the Lucha. Luchadors is, of course, the Mexican wrestling guys, if you're not a wrestling fan. Um, but I wanted to shout these people out. You know we love our food on this program. You know we do the Twitter Supper Club. If in your travels you wind up in Lewiston, Maine, make sure you frequent one of these people. Let them know that, hey, we saw what you did during the manhunt, and we appreciate you. Really cool. We will link to all these folks. If you're not in Maine, maybe you know somebody in Maine or traveling to Maine for vacation season, fall season, send them these links for these places. Make sure you support these local businesses that supported the folks that were supporting their community. And that'll do it for Herd Tell. Love ending on a good note. Hey, if you don't already, please make sure you're following and supporting us on whatever platform you're listening to this on, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, We're even on some places over in India. Every podcast platform there is, we are on it. If you want to watch the video, we're also on the YouTube page. If you want both or you want the one-stop shopping for everything we do, herdtel.substack.com, completely free. Subscribe. All you got to do is punch in your email. Everything we do will go directly into your inbox every time we do something, including media hits, writing. We're going to do some specials again. We haven't done those in a while. We're going to get back to that. We would love to have you. As always, all of it will only cost you a click or two. If you're willing to give us one more click after all those clicks, share us on your social media. We'd sure appreciate it. Uh, Heard Tell Show on the Twitter. My my, uh, Twitter is Four for the Fire. We'd appreciate it. We don't advertise other than our social media, so that really helps us out. We would appreciate also all those platforms. If you could leave a rating and a comment, we'd sure appreciate it. So wherever you are, cross street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed, and we will talk to you again real soon for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. 
Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you.